0: Welcome to the Leading by History podcast, where we take our listeners on a journey, walking and talking our way through history to delve into some of the deepest thoughts, concepts, ideas, issues, and challenges. We know you're going to enjoy your time with us. Come along for the journey, Leading by History. We look forward to getting to know you better. Welcome back to another edition of the Leading by History podcast. I'm your host, Masayahu Isra'ul, and we are excited about today's show, this episode talking about Abraham Lincoln and scholar Lucas Morell, who has done a book recently on President Lincoln and the American founding. So Dr. Morell was with us in season two. He's back with us in season four. Uh, I wanted to bring him back because we had a wonderful conversation that set off season two in which we volleyed back and forth about Abraham Lincoln whether he was a great emancipator or a white supremacist and I and I think you need to go back to season 2 episode 1 and check that out it was it was a really great conversation and so periodically I reach out to Dr. Morell to see how he's doing I'll get with him and you know send him messages and see how things are going and when I came across his latest book I definitely wanted to bring him in so Dr. Lucas Morell Welcome back to the Leading by History Podcast.
1: Glad to be back. You didn't kill me off the first time, so sounds good.
0: (laughs) So when we got together last on the show, we had a a really good conversation. And I really enjoyed the conversation because I know we were entering it from two different perspectives. But at the same time, I wanted K-12 teachers who are a part of the listening audience to recognize that I'm not a Lincoln Scholar. Right. That's not my area of expertise. My part of history is turn of the 20th century African-American religious organizations. That's where my research lies. But I was able to have a conversation with you with the use of primary source documents. And I wanted teachers to see that primary source documents really level the playing field. You know, Mm -hmm. people may have varying perspectives. But we got to stick to what is written there. And and that's something that I learned from you in your symposiums that I attended in which the colloquial that you did with my teachers. And you said, right. look, we don't mind you bringing your ideas in, but you have to stay rooted in the documents that we have. And I thought that was powerful because it forced people to read as opposed to just going by what they heard or what they thought someone said. And it, mm-hmm. and it really focuses your attention because all of the periphery and all of the strawman arguments just sort of fall by the wayside because now you have to deal with the cold black and white that's in front of you. Right. So, yeah. So I was just saying so that 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 to me was was powerful. But go ahead and share your thoughts on that.
1: Oh, I was just going to say uh, this doesn't mean that we dismiss context or that why something was written or said isn't relevant. You need to get what? behind the documents. But the first, the the first, the un, as you say, the, the indisputable thing is what was actually passed as a law or what was actually ruled as a court opinion, what was actually said in a speech or a letter, that's where you begin. And then step back and go, okay, so when was this? When Lincoln said this controversial thing about black people during the debates with Stephen Douglas, We start with that and then step back and go, hmm, what was he responding to? Let's look at what Douglas was saying. Let's look at what the audience was probably believing at that time. And that might help us understand why Lincoln took the tack that he did then but said things much differently uh, once he was president or something like that. So the context is important to be sure. But when we got together in Richmond with your teachers, that was a really fabulous time because it was clear we had a true diversity of opinions about the people we were reading about, but we were forced to at least wrestle with what their thoughts were. And the thoughts are most clearly expressed when they're on paper. Like you said, when you look at what's actually in the document, primary sources and teachers are really good on this document-based questions, right, the DBQs and all that. And so for me, especially teaching about American history, and I'm a political scientist, but because I deal with Lincoln and the founding, I gotta know my history. I think history is most engaging when we see it as a debate. Uh, This country was founded as a product of debate. We get to see the back and forth, the pro, the con, And I mean, it, we didn't stop it. We didn't finish it at the Constitutional Convention. We didn't finish it with the Declaration of Independence. There was a point in time where words weren't enough. We actually started shooting at each other. We couldn't resolve peacefully, which is to say politically, by votes, winners and losers. We got to a point where that wasn't enough. The losers in 1860 said, tough, our guy didn't win. We don't like the guy who did. We're out of here. And Lincoln and Lincoln said, "No, that's not allowed." And let me explain to you why not. So, as you're teaching American history, I think the great thing is is you can invite kids into this thing and show them, "Wow, not everybody agreed, and this was the result of that." Thankfully, almost all the time, we don't resort to uh, ballots and, and you know bullets and bayonets. We resort to ballots. So, right. I, I think one of the fascinating things about Lincoln is his recognition about that challenge of American self-government, teaching people to obey when their guys don't win. And that involves maintaining trust between political majorities and political minorities. And that's something I have to say, it looks like we're we're losing today. And I'm hoping that my book makes at least a, a widow's might effort towards helping us regain that trust in one another in spite of the things that we disagree about. So speaking of your book, let's first talk about what got you on the Abraham Lincoln
0: kick because you're really fascinated with this (laughs) with this person. And this has been the topic of your books. You know, what got you fascinated about Abraham Lincoln as opposed to any other leader
1: in any other place? Well, ironically, well, not ironically enough, but strangely enough, I began as an engineering major at Harvey Mudd College in Southern California. But at that school, you have to have a minor because technically all the Claremont colleges are considered liberal arts colleges. So mm-hmm. I started at Harvey Mudd as an engineering major and politics, political science minor. And I took a class from a professor, of uh, my mentor now, uh, Bill Allen. And it was called, What is Political Power? So I think I was introduced to Lincoln in that course. And then I like to debate. I didn't do debate in high school, but I like debating with people. And so when I transferred after changing my major from engineering to politics, I transferred to another of the Claremont colleges, Claremont McKenna College, majored in, in what they called government. And i took a course on political rhetoric from james nichols this is a scholar of plato and we read the gorgias which is a dialogue that socrates has with gorgias about rhetoric the art of persuasion and in that course i was introduced to the lincoln douglas debates Mm -hmm. so i would say in a a kind of front and center kind of way that was probably the course that set me towards learning more about lincoln and what i thought was his genius for using words in the political arena not writing some treatise off in some ivory tower but in real time trying to persuade people to take a certain path as opposed to other paths next to the founding and the revolution at the most treacherous critical time in our nation's history which was of course the, the uh, what my other teacher harry jaffa called the crisis of the house divided so started in undergraduate school in undergraduate college I did my honors thesis on his second inaugural address at that time. And this is 19. Good grief. When Did I graduate? So I graduated in 87. So this is 1986, 87. I um, didn't see very many. In fact, there were no books on the second inaugural address at that time and very few that actually talked about it in any serious or extended way. So my thesis advisor, Charles Kessler, said, hey, why don't you uh, write about uh, this speech, which is one of the greats? And uh, 70 pages later, (laughs) uh, about four paragraphs, Lincoln's 701-word speech, uh, I got into Lincoln with both feet, and I just haven't looked back since. I've just made him my primary area of research.
0: Mm. I was listening to your journey. I just thought back to my undergrad where I was a member of the Forensic Society uh-huh. and uh, captain of the the debate team, nice. and one of the styles was called Lincoln Douglas.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: so we had we had a style called Energy Debate. It was an energy debate style, which was focused on policy. And then we have the Lincoln-Douglas style. So we had to learn several styles of debate. And always, I love the Lincoln-Douglas format where there was the separation in minutes where you might get seven minutes here to speak and then the person will have three minutes to be able to rebut and then you come back for your seven and then they get three, you know, and I always enjoyed that format. And when I became an educator, I was the person who sponsored the debate team in the first high school where I taught and taught my students the Lincoln-Douglas style. you know. So I guess Lincoln's been, I hadn't thought about it, Lincoln's been with me for quite some time as well. So your latest book, Lincoln and the American Founding, tell me about this, what has been dubbed a persuasive work of intellectual history. Tell me about this.
1: Well, um, the backstory is a quick one. Southern Illinois University Press, coinciding with the, whatever it is, the 150th anniversary of the Civil War, 1861 through 1865, fast forwarding to 150 years later, they began a series that they called the Concise Lincoln Library Series. And they wanted these short books, 100, 120 pages long, on the one hand, written by scholars with an expertise in a particular aspect of Lincoln, whether his personal life or his public life. And they actually, and I didn't know these editors at the time, I got an email from uh, Sylvia Rodrigue and she said, hey, can you write a book about Lincoln and civil rights? We know you do courses on civil rights and race and equality, and you're this Lincoln buff. Can you write this book? And I, I hit him back and I said, you know, I, it's a bit anachronistic to talk about Lincoln and civil rights because, of course, front and center for him was the Civil War. But I would be interested in writing a book on Lincoln and the American founding. And then I explained to them what I understood the founding to be, focused on the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. And then that just got us going back and forth. And they said, fine, send us a proposal and a prospectus. And a few years later, bang, out came the book. So the book was published in June of 2020. And it has a very simple thesis. The argument is, Everybody knows Lincoln was influenced by Shakespeare and the Bible, poets like Byron and a Scottish poet that's escaping me right now, uh, Robert Burns. Yeah, loved Robert Burns. But I thought, you know, in all my study of Lincoln, and I've been doing this for 25, 30 years now, I think the number one thing that influenced him was what he learned from the American founders as Political figures, and especially as establishers of self government and the ideals of self government, especially encapsulated in the Declaration. And so that led me to write a book that basically argues that the most important things that Lincoln contributed as a politician and as an orator can be directly related to essentially what he learned about what the founders did in forming this country, fighting for ideals. Um, as imperfect uh, as they were fighting for ideals, a different and new way of for free people to rule themselves and even how they dealt with compromises like with the, you know the fundamental compromises with racial slavery, black slavery. And I think, you know, but for what Lincoln learned from the Declaration, the Constitution and that early Republican small r formative period, we would never have gotten the Gettysburg Address. We wouldn't have gotten the Emancipation Proclamation. We wouldn't have gotten the Second Inaugural Address. So for me, you know, Lincoln is an orator and Lincoln as a, and I consider him a statesman, as a master politically prudent man. But for the founding, we would not have produced this Lincoln.
0: So you make a statement that in your book that Lincoln saw the Declaration as the fundamental charter of American self-government. Yes. When you say the fundamental charter, that's political language, and I'm sure that you're attempting to draw some form of image for the reader with the use of that language. You know, you normally seek a charter for whatever you're doing, your organization or your government, when it's to be made official.
1: Businesses Uh, have to be chartered by the state government. Right,
0: right. So when you say that Lincoln saw the declaration as the fundamental charter of American self-government, you didn't necessarily say that he saw the declaration as the fundamental charter of the American government right itself, but as the ideal of self-government. So I just wanna make sure what you mean when you make that statement. When you're saying that, are you saying that he sees the declaration as a charter for American self-government, meaning the ideal of American self-government, the experiment that was taking place at the founding, are you saying that it's the charter for American government itself, or is there a difference?
1: Yeah, um, I guess I haven't thought about it in such technical terms. I say it, honestly, first off, because Lincoln used that word. He said it was the fundamental charter of our liberties. Mm. And so that leads us to ask the question that, well, then what did Lincoln mean by charter? And he was a lawyer. Mm -hmm. So he knew the the denotative meanings of words as well as Mm -hmm. the connotative ones. I think he meant it. And he used that statement, used that word in a public document, in a speech. And so he wasn't going to drop legal language or legalese Mm -hmm. on the general public unless it was something that they're in conversation would understand what that word meant. And I think he just simply meant that this was this was our mission statement. This was the document that gave the world our reasons, plural, for taking the action that we did. We had to, in short, explain why we were no longer going to pursue peaceful, which is to say, political means to secure justice. We tried that. And neither the king nor the parliament responded in kind. And so we said, these people are robbing us of our rights. They're depriving us of our ability to secure our life. And as they put it, liberty and pursuit of happiness. We have to take matters into our own hands. And we are right to do so. In other words, whether or not we win, whether the Revolutionary War it was a successful one or not. We're going to publish what we believe are the principles that justify the action we are taking, that make it in the eyes, as they put it, to, uh, let facts be submitted to a candid world. If the world is honest, they would look at this contest, this military battle between American colonists and Great Britain, they would look at that and say, wow, we don't know who's going to win, but those Americans are right. <laughs> what, what they are fighting for is leg- is reasonable. And what England is trying to do in depriving them of both the means and the ends that they're pursuing uh, is unjust. And so in that sense, I say, when Lincoln says it's the fundamental charter of our liberties, he's saying, this was our mission statement to the world. Uh, we may not win, the betting money in vegas at the time haha was that we would lose <laughs> mm-hmm. but the point is we deserve to win and these are the reasons why and in those first two paragraphs before they set out what they claimed were infractions he has he has he has those first two paragraphs are a philosophical justification for the actions we were taking and can be summed up very easily human equality individual rights the right of revolution government by consent. Those are the big, in my mind, those are the big four teachings in terms of the principles of the revolution. And Lincoln drew from those and he referred to them, especially from the mid-50s, mid-1850s through his presidency.
0: So there has to then be a connection between Lincoln and his idea of the American founding, which is the emphasis of your book, but then also the ideas and concepts that are coming forth during the period of the Civil War, because you make a statement in the book in which you say, in giving freedom to the slave, we assure freedom to the free by making freedom available to all who secure it for themselves just want to think about that for a minute right the nation is plunged into this war lincoln is thinking of how he can reunite this country he's restating the principles of the declaration of independence which i'll touch back on in a minute mm-hmm. but in his message to congress in 1862 he says in giving freedom to the slave we assure freedom to the free yes by making freedom available to all we secure it for ourselves right That There's a lot there, because when you talk again about this charter of American liberty or American liberties, this is how American liberties are made official. This is how we bring them into existence by examining the document of the Declaration and looking at its principles and then applying those principles to life. So in giving freedom to the slave, he says, we assure freedom to the free. Now, that's that's a heavy statement, because if we can't grant these men freedom and women freedom as human beings, then we will at some point in time find ourselves in a similar condition. It may not be chattel slavery, as it will, but we may come under the whip of another cruel master some other form of government some other kind yeah. of leadership that would destroy what this government was meant to be about tell me about that statement there i think that's a pretty strong statement you know this p- preservation of self government meaning there needed to be some kind of self control amongst the citizens Absolutely. themselves
1: go ahead you you nailed it right there there needs to be some kind of self control what you just did there is translate self government into a phrase that is un- unmistakable. I mean, its it cannot be made more clear. I do this. I just taught two sections of American government uh, last semester to my students, and I am constantly translating that phrase self-government in a way so they don't just see it as this public thing out there. Oh, that's just the constitution, or that's just voting. Self-government entails self- control, the selves controlling themselves rather than needing control from somebody else or something else or some other group. What Lincoln was saying there is if you don't understand that democracy is reciprocal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it means we take turns. It means what I grant to me, I have to grant to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is no principle by which I could say I get these things and can do so at your expense Mm -hmm. or deprive you of them in other words Mm -hmm. precisely what many americans were doing in terms of chattel slavery Mm -hmm. lincoln put it differently in a a, in a note to himself when he said as i would not be a slave so i would not be a master Mm -hmm. that is my definition of democracy so When it came to, that's from his his State of the Union address to Congress in December of 1862. At that time, Congress would reconvene in December of each year, Mm -hmm. and they would meet for a few months and then take a break. What has already happened in 1862? He's already issued his preliminary emancipation proclamation in September, and he has told the rebel states, look, you come back into the Union and we don't touch your institutions. In other words, the institution of slavery. He gave them 100 days. And on January 1st, the Emancipation Proclamation was, most of it was taken up with identifying the areas of the country that were still in rebellion. Mm -hmm. So in December, looking towards that January 1st, 1863 date, Lincoln was saying in giving freedom to the slave, we ensure freedom to the free. In other words, we guarantee that we can continue to have a self governing constitutional system because what we will be teaching ourselves is the slaves or those who have been enslaved never deserved their enslavement, just as we who are currently free never deserve to be enslaved. There is no principal difference between we, most of that we was white, not entirely, mm-hmm. but most. There is no principal difference between we who are currently legally free and those in a certain area of this country who are enslaved, black Mm -hmm. people. And so Lincoln says, the humanity of the enslaved is the very same thing that we share, we white people share and are trying to secure. And in fact, what our forefathers claimed they were doing July 4th, 1776. So all Lincoln was doing was reminding the American people This is what they said. You can either line up with them or do something different. Southern, most Southern whites attempted to do something different when they attempted to form the Confederate States of America. With
0: that, for our podcasters, we're on video as well. But for our podcasting show, we're going to take a brief break and then return after these messages. Hey. As a listener to the Leading by History podcast, we want to tell you about some exclusive opportunities available to you as a listener. If you go to patreon.com backslash leading by history today, you'll find that there are three tiers of support that will give you exclusive access to our program. We've got the official patron level, the all access tier, and the highest level, the VIP patron level of support. If you want to find out how you can have exclusive access Access and have impact on what we offer, go to patreon.com backslash leading by history today. So as we talk about Lincoln and this idea of reciprocal freedom, right? I think you, you termed it similar. You know, I want to talk about this statement or your contention in your book where you say that the most important influence on Lincoln's political thinking And his political practice was what he learned from the leading figures and the documents at the birth of the united states as i was listening to you before the break there i'm thinking about lincoln and if i'm in my mind i'm taking out the fact that he's a white man i'm taking out the fact that he's leading a country that is enslaving millions during the time i'm taking out the idea that he has made Statements that can be easily construed as racialist uh, yes. statements, right? Yes. And and I'm just seeing just the principles and and listening to just the ideas of what he's saying, and I'm saying that's pretty good stuff, right? That sounds good. <laughs> it, it sounds really good, right? And I think this is a part of of what we saw with Douglas, Frederick Douglass, that is, when he begins to separate from William Garrison. In this idea that the constitution itself was a faulty document that the the best thing we had to go on was the declaration of independence you know and then you start to see frederick douglas sort of moving towards the idea that even those things that are written throughout the constitution itself should be applied to black people could be applied to black people and is something that we could aspire to to gain from Right. But then I, I think about Alexander Stevens and how he in his cornerstone speech says that the Declaration really was it, itself. So he goes further than than Garrison. Garrison at least accepts the Declaration of Independence as as a decent document. But he comes back and Stevens says that the founding fathers were actually incorrect with, with those statements, exactly. that they were wrong. Right. And that this this new government, which is the Confederacy, is going to be founded upon the true principle that, you know, African people, black people are not the equal of the white man and that African slavery and their subjugation is their natural place in the order of of men. So they actually conspire against the Declaration of Independence and its lofty values. And I think that that's telling. And I, I mention all of that because I think of all of that and I say, well, you know what? If we just listen to Lincoln, and Lincoln leads us back to the founding documents, specifically the Declaration of Independence, then even Garrison says the Declaration of Independence is a good document. Lincoln agrees it's a good document. And you've got pure, complete racists that are saying in the Confederacy that it's faulty, that that's where we made our big mistake. I think there's something to this Declaration of Independence that's powerful I just wanna look at it real quick. I'm gonna pull it up for you right here. So you know, it says, this is the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, right? Very interesting wording there. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. To the separation. Let's just delve into this real quick. Since Lincoln and his founding is pushing us here, then mm-hmm. I want you with the mind of Lincoln, let's look at this opening clause here and, and tell me what would Lincoln be extracting from this? What did you see as you prepared your text? What what was he pulling and gleaning from this?
1: Yeah, you know, I'll first begin by saying he emphasized the second sentence, not the first. Uh, okay. But you did read the first. So I'll I'll get to the, I'll get to your question, but but fundamentally for Lincoln is the second sentence, which is the second paragraph, which mm-hmm. talks about those things that I mentioned earlier about equality and rights and the right mm-hmm. revolution.
0: And we'll get there. We'll, we'll, we'll In delve second. into that too. But the first
1: one, what, what Lincoln would, would draw from the first is he likes the fact, and he, uh, he disagrees with Stephen Douglas about this. Not only of course, Alexander Stevens, he likes the fact that there once was, this is Lincoln's interpretation of the founding. There once was a shared understanding, a shared commitment, what is known as the unanimous declaration. This was something all The colonies signed on to. Did that mean every colonist? No, clearly not, right? There were folks who were still loyal to to England during the American Revolution, no doubt. But in terms of the formal authoritative expression, political expression of the colonists throughout the colonies, and even Canada was invited, they didn't join, the rest is history. But what Lincoln liked was, and what he leveraged rhetorically was the common conviction of Americans, as expressed in this document, of the basis for their departure. And that's that phrase, the laws of nature and of nature's God. Uh, That's cribbed from John Locke, but other, you know, Enlightenment thinkers like Algernon Sidney, Cato's letters, uh, others wrote in that same vein. The idea that it's not, uh, there's no divine right of kings. Nobody is naturally born the superior of anybody else. Uh, at least in terms of political uh, rule, there are superior intellects,, uh, but that's not, you know, there's no that that doesn't justify my telling you what to do without your permission uh, without your consent. So the fact that it's a unanimous declaration is huge for Lincoln. There is an American understanding mm. of government and self-rule. Jefferson will later call this much later in the eighteen I think letter of eighteen twenty five. He'll say this this expressed the harmonizing sentiments of the day. They weren't entirely new and they weren't they they weren't uh, strictly ancient. We drew from ancient and contemporary sources for this. Mm -hmm. But the point is, we were of one mind in terms of what is justifying our departure. And it was this higher law, this thing that transcended the human laws, what the philosophers will call positive laws. What we just, you know, we take a vote and we agree we're going to drive on the right side of the road rather than the left. There is something above the laws of parliament that stand as a standard or in judgment of those laws. And when those laws depart from the laws of nature and nature's God, which are apprehendable by human reason, then we know an injustice is being committed and we need to rectify that. And so... That first paragraph for Lincoln, I think generally he would draw the, the idea that there is something, uh, what, what uh, William Seward, his primary Republican opponent in 1860, then became his secretary of state, what Seward called a higher law. Lincoln didn't use that language, but Lincoln knew that understanding and drew that from the declaration. He liked the fact that there is something that stands above mere human laws. Because notice, if there isn't, then justice is simply the product of whatever the government decides now the government mm. can decide it by fiat it can decide it by majority rule it can decide it by a few people an aristocracy and oligarchy but the key thing for lincoln was if there isn't something above human action right the basis of their laws then stephen douglas is right popular mm. sovereignty just let the majority decide and that's justice. Of course, mm. for Stephen Douglas, it's a majority of who?
0: Right. White people. He's really right.
1: explicit about that.
0: Right, right, and and then that gives way to the concept of mob rule, yeah. right? Eventually, when people yes. lose their sensibilities, right? It, yes. it can devolve into that. It's a polite form of mob rule. Exactly. We so, voted. Right, right, exactly. We, we voted to enslave you all. We voted exactly. to take away your, your human rights, right? So now it it continues and says, we hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, every human being should be able to recognize these truths, right? Yes. Um, That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> One, long sentence. So, so when you see um, the more radical leftist uh, understanding of abolish the police, right, to restructure the entire government, redistribute wealth, these concepts that people uh, on the far right are you know completely incensed by and afraid of right there's this mm. that you hear words of communism mccarthyism you know all of this kind of stuff where folks have that mccarthyist uh you know perspective on things as someone said to me the pinky commie lefties as <laughs> as i heard someone someone on, on on the right say but when i think about this now this doesn't relate today specifically to to lincoln then but What do you think, if Lincoln's holding to this, that, first of all, men are created equal, they're given by the creator these unalienable, not inalienable, but unalienable rights. You can't undo this thing, right, these rights that have been given, which is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, um, and that in order to secure it, right, uh, people have to agree to be in a form of government where these things are appreciated. What do you think Lincoln's approach would be to seeing much of the leftist movement today uh, with the idea of abolish the police or some of these other things because of the fact that folks feel as if this has been violated, that, that we have, you know, it's evident that we're created equal, that we have these inalienable rights, but yet time and time again, we're not dealing with whether or not this is actuality, we're dealing with perceptions, which is what human beings have, right? Right. That every time we turn around, a person of color is being killed, a a person of color is being marginalized, voices are being marginalized. There are textbooks that we can clearly uh, revisit from within the last 20 years that tell all kinds of untruths about the history of the past. When folks see this kind of thing going on and they say, well, then we need to abolish this. Let's get rid of the police system. Let's get rid of this form of government. Let's overthrow yeah. it. Right. What What would be Lincoln's perspective if he pulled up today in the Delorean yeah. with Doc? What would he say to uh, these things?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, the short answer is his first great speech, which was delivered when he was a second-term state legislator in Illinois um, House of Representatives. Um, this is before he serves in Congress. He's serving at the state legislature. And mobs are increasing as ways north and south to secure justice. Hmm. And he says, "No, no, 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 you can't. You cannot use your freedom this way to secure justice. Uh, ultimately, this is going to come and bite you in the butt, right? You're going to be at the end of that rope, come next week. so i would I would direct your viewer and your listener to just read that speech carefully, hmm. and you'll that's my, Say it my again, short. which
0: one is it again?
1: This is called the uh, on the perpetuation of our political institutions. That's the okay. f- official title, but it is referred to as the Lyceum speech. L y c e u m was in January of eighteen thirty-eight, and a Lyceum at the time was simply a a gathering of you know young professionals uh, to debate or or give speeches about current events, capital punishment, um, getting rid of prostitution. Uh, improving the, the penal system it, and Lincoln chose when it was his turn to talk, he chose the subject of, oh, there it is. Wow. You're mm-hmm. quick. Uh, of, of the, the question of whether mob rule was a serious thing to be dealt with or not. So mm-hmm. that's the short answer. Okay. okay. Read okay. that speech. But I want, I want to do two things here. Go ahead. First, Lincoln would say to, um, the folks who are, uh, you know, they call themselves abolitionists. Did you know that? I had to look that one up. I'm like, why do they keep calling themselves abolitionists? Mm -hmm. That's a very specific group of people in American history. No, it's the guys who want to get rid of the police. I'm like, whoa, okay. Lincoln would say, number one, hey, I hear the concern for justice. That is right. I applaud that. There is nothing more American Mm -hmm. than the concern by the modern-day abolitionists. So for Mm -hmm. starters, he would try to to gain traction with them. He would try to find common ground on that. I see where you're trying to go. Mm -hmm. Number two, let me explain to you why your solution won't get you there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. In other words, the problem you're trying to solve, and and, and there's a debate over how big a problem that is, but there is a problem, Mm -hmm. no doubt. But the problem you are trying to solve, this is not the way to do it. And I would hasten to add that if you took a poll uh, of Black Americans in particular, that the majority are not abolitionists. The majority say, we just want the police to do their job. If the police did their job to protect and serve, and my middle sister is a retired police officer, okay? Mm -hmm. If the police actually did what they're supposed to do, we're down with that. We're cool. Our problem is, we're on the, the, the short end of that stick, we're on the sharp end of that stick. Mm-hmm. Protect and serve Our the most vulnerable communities in the United States, mm-hmm. right, are precisely the ones that need legitimate law enforcement, not get rid of the police. You're seeing city after city, the major cities, what's happening. Violent crime is up. Why? Because cops of all colors, races, ethnicities aren't wanting to get into situations where someone's going to get a cell phone and it's going to be problematic for them, right? They're just like, fine, I'm not going to enter a situation where I can possibly be looked at as a rogue cop. And so what's happening is, as police are pulling out of those situations, uh, violence isn't going down, it's going up. And the innocents are being hurt. So Mm -hmm. what Lincoln would try to say is, I'm with you in terms of your ends. Let's look at the means. Let's really think about what would be a way of uh, making sure that the police, since they are enforcers of the law, not become abusers, not use the color of authority to abuse Blacks or any other portion of the population. And so that one we can't deal with in a short broadcast in terms of fine right. detail. About what are the reforms? Because, you know, after all, I think the most extreme abolitionists today would say it's not even a racial thing because you have law, you know, Baltimore, black mayor, black police chief, what's happening there? The same Mm -hmm. stuff is happening, right? So Mm -hmm. the the most extreme forms of abolitionists will argue at the end of the day, it's not even a racial thing. At the end of the day, it is policing itself Mm -hmm. that is the problem. And that's why it it, forget defunding, we got to get rid of it exactly so so, so right. again we, we we don't have time to deal with this in any, any greater right detail. right
0: and 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 maybe maybe we bring you back for us to to delve more but <laughs> i but i i wanted to to bring that in because see here's the, the the problem that i have and of course we don't have lincoln here to ask but you as a lincoln scholar can sort of look at the flow of how lincoln has gone you know in the past in his writings and you can sort of piece together what his his thoughts might be. But see, again, this is the same issue that was coming up with the idea of slavery, where there was this gradual elimination. There was this this party that says, you know, hey, let's gradually eliminate slavery, which garrison repents for having been a part of, right, Right. Um, right. And then there are those who are abolitionists that want this thing taken care of yesterday right let's completely annihilate it you've got your john browns which may be an extreme in that case but there are those who who would go towards that extreme so it's funny to me that the founding fathers say that it is necessary in the course of human events for people to dissolve political bands which have connected them together Um, You know, and and, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and the laws of God or the nature of uh, 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 of God entitles them, right? Yes. How can you say it was okay to separate from uh, Great Britain? because of the list of things that we see here, you know, refusal to pass laws for accommodation of large large districts, forbidden governors to pass laws of immediate pressing of importance, right? But But at the same time, this pales in comparison to the peculiar institution of slavery as practiced yes. in America. So when it comes to the enslavement yeah. of black people, all of a sudden there's this, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Maybe this isn't the route we want to take when the founding fathers for less were willing to go well, to war and bring the sword. Well, let's, let,
1: let's, let's introduce Come on, Lincoln. Uh,
0: Talk to me, Lincoln.
1: Yeah. Well, Lincoln, <laughs> again, this is, you got to read chapter four of my book, which deals with uh, the founders compromise over slavery, but I'm going I'll, to, I'll, I'll answer your question more directly. Um, What what, If you were to ask any of the founders, is enslaving Black people right? Mm -hmm. Yes or no? Mm -hmm. There would be no hesitation. Even among the enslavers, Washington, Madison, Jefferson, George Mason, and others, Patrick Henry, I think even, um, Mm -hmm. not a one of them would hem or haw in terms of the injustice of it. The Mm -hmm. hemming and hawing would be now how do we go about extricating ourselves from a situation? you know that then that's a different conversation well they've
0: told you here in the declaration exactly how you do it that's the that's the part well it's like- yeah, so here, here it
1: is here here's you had mentioned uh, uh history books in the last 20 25 years right that that are telling falsehoods how about the ones that leave out important things like black americans deciding huh are we gonna go with this new experiment? In other words, are we gonna throw our our support behind Washington and the revolution? Mm -hmm. I I think it's New Hampshire, a quarter of their militia was black, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Or are we gonna follow Lord Dunmore's uh, proclamation, Mm -hmm. right? Many enslaved blacks followed Lord Lord Dunmore's uh, proclamation. So the blacks themselves had to make a decision Mm-hmm. Notice the decision wasn't a decision of principle. Both were were, were seeking for what freedom for,
0: for freedom, right?
1: Freedom. The question became prudential, huh? Do I think Washington's effort has a chance of succeeding? And therewith, will they be setting up institutions that could very well lead to my freedom as it did in Massachusetts? with those court cases in Mm -hmm. 1781, 82, and 83, which abolished the institution within Mm -hmm. three years, okay? Mm -hmm. And then gradually in in five or six other colonies turned states. Or do I put my hopes with um, the current administration, right? King in parliament. So Blacks themselves seeking the very same thing, freedom, had to make a prudential judgment as to the best way to secure it. Lincoln never refers to the founders as hypocrites. Mm. He thought that they could not do both at the same time, that they could not make an effort to secure their freedom. And at the same time, during a revolution, liberate their slaves and deal with the repercussions socially, politically, economically, they could not do both.
0: Okay. Which which eventually he found himself in at least half of that. Well, a- almost the same situation. It's just he was on the end of those who were he was on the opposite end of those who were doing the succession, right? The society right. during so, the
1: civil war, then yeah, then that same you're right, that issue came up. Okay, right. well, what do we do? Should we in a time and when every, we're trying to preserve the union, should we liberate three and, to four million blacks? And, yeah, and, and
0: everyone on each side chose violence eventually. So I mean, yeah, but this, this is what I'm saying. It's like it's it's it's. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> well, uh, you gotta be careful. Uh, go ahead for our for our listeners and viewers. Yes. When you say chose violence, yes, uh, I I understand.
0: I mean the war, right?
1: The war is violence. Government employing force and a civilian uh, or a citizen okay. employing force. Mm-hmm. Um, we, in the eyes of the law, were rebels in the 1770s by resisting the legal force of right. great britain mm-hmm. but we believed that the uh, that justice was on our side to do so uh-huh. and that the regime was so bad it was mm-hmm. worth appealing to the right of revolution which is not a political mm-hmm. right it's a natural right mm-hmm. now you turn around and it's lincoln now who sits in control with mm-hmm. congress okay his employment of force to some americans right the seceders was illegitimate we have a right we're what we're doing is no different than what washington did i i think there is a difference i know nicole hannah jones doesn't think there's a difference but i uh-oh, think there's uh-oh. a difference uh-oh. yeah i dropped it i waited it, i waited yeah. but I dropped it.
0: it's all right we can
1: all right, exactly. <laughs> i'll have
0: to bring it you got to come on nicole i've invited you on you got to come on go ahead
1: yeah yeah yeah. so anyway so when you say violence for me when government uses force legitimately that's what in the same way i mean they're using force on behalf of law on behalf of of justice and those who were rebelling were using force um illegitimately in my opinion the big difference here is notice at the time of the founding at the time of the revolution more importantly we didn't have consent the government that was ruling us did not have our permission. At the time that the seceding elements left, they got a chance. They voted and lost. They were poor losers. Republics cannot, Uh, republics are not viable. They won't last if you allow the losers to say, well, we're not my president, resistance. That's uh, for me, that's un-American. Because at least in this regime, you can vote we did not have that right under great britain
0: but we talked about here as we come down to the to the final part of the show that to secure these rights governments are instituted among men deriving their powers from the consent of the governed yes right and 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 so then let's take a look at this part here but when a long train of abuses yes okay Usurpations pursuing invariably the same object and evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty Rudy. to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. If yes. we if we just exa- I mean, it's ironic that the Confederacy. Neglects this document, which they could have used this particular part here. You think uh, 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 there's a the
1: long train of abuses and usurpations? But that's I the think way this that is an that, indictment that, of them.
0: That's their perspective, right? Is that through the course of uh, this period of civil war and fighting brother against brother and the northern aggression? Uh, you know <laughs> that, 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 that that you you know the uh, the narrative. Um, I do. I've it, read it. This could have easily been used, but I think, I think as we as we come down to the the final minutes of the show, because we can, whenever we get to talking with each other, we always can go uh, uh, for long periods of time. <laughs> but 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 I think that folks, I'll say this: we always have a charge when we leave. So I want you to start thinking about what your charge to the audience is. Uh, at the end of this discussion, but I'll say this for for me. Um, My charge is that every person that's listening to the show should go back and examine the Declaration of Independence and really read this document closely. Do a close read of the Declaration and look at what was the, the guiding light, if you will, for the actions that eventually came from who are called the founding fathers of this nation. Think about the historical time period. Think about the events that were taking place. Contextualize it. But then just after you've done that, just look at the document without any other voices in your head and just read. And imagine that it was, this document was crafted by someone whom you greatly respect. How would you read the document then? Because I think a lot of times we get jaded And we think about our present circumstance and situation in the United States, and I think it takes away from us being able to examine and understand the beauty of documents of the past, whether we agree with them or not, whether we think they're, you know, a load of of bunk or not. I think that we need to get the the, the other voices out of our minds, our personal experiences out of our minds and also read the documents in that sterile way, in that sterile environment to just base it upon the principles of the document. That would be my charge to the audience today. If we really want to understand what Abraham Lincoln was seeing when he read the document, let's envision him reading this document on principle alone, not necessarily because of the events that were taking place in the 1860s, but let's think of him reading this as a document, as someone might read the scriptures of a particular religious text. What would he have gleaned from it? Go ahead. I'm going to give you the final word here as you give a charge.
1: You basically paraphrase what King came to do, Mm -hmm. how he came to understand those documents. King famously said on more than one occasion, all that we ask of this yes, country right. is that to you be true, true on on to what you said on papers. In other That's words, right. King says, really this? Where do I sign? Where do I right. sign? Right. He called it a promissory note mm-hmm. in that August 63 speech. Um, no coincidence on the footsteps of the Lincoln Memorial. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so when King read it, um, he, he read it the same way you did, which mm-hmm. is. Wow, as a statement of principles that allowed him to say to a majority white America, unless you want to throw this out, to live with integrity and not hypocrisy, I've got a few things to point out to you Mm. where you are not living up to this. The Confederacy either misconstrued the declaration and they tried, they actually drew upon it in a lot of their ordinances, they gave their own peculiar interpretation of how the declaration supported them. Uh, but in principle, of course, you read their constitution and, and they, they don't believe in human equality. But King says, it sounds like you guys still believe this. So let's let's try to live up to it more consistently, more comprehensively. But you know, my students, when they show up to my classes, the first thing on their mind isn't what the document says. The first thing on their mind is our failure to live up to it. Yes, and right. it's that failure that leads them to think, maybe I'm reading it wrong. Mm -hmm. Maybe all men really does mean males. Maybe it really Mm -hmm. does mean white males. Maybe it really Mm -hmm. does mean white males, Protestants of property, et cetera. In other words, I can't read it plainly because I know so many of the actions Mm -hmm. were inconsistent. Mm -hmm. And so maybe they didn't mean it, or maybe we have to add this stuff. So so you're right to tell them, look, let's take it according to its own terms. Danielle Allen wrote a great book called Our Declaration, and, and she's actually running for Massachusetts governor right now. Uh, she writes for The Washington Post, she teaches at Harvard, has two PhDs. I could go on. Um, she says, we need to take this uh, this document at face value. It has its own argument. It requires you to read slowly and to make a judgment. It, 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 in fact, it demands that you make a judgment. Are the terms true? Are they legitimate? Is this a reasonable, just way to establish what it is the purpose of government to do and how to erect and operate this among free people? For me, Lincoln, Lincoln's greatness can be tied directly to not just the declaration, but how we began as a federation of states to try to implement those historically. And of course, slavery was always the thing that we were running into. In certain cases, we were able to extricate ourselves from it, and in other cases, not only did we not get rid of it, we started coming up with reasons why we could justify it. And 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 that's American history right there. So, um, uh, at the risk at, at the risk of being a self promoter here, I would say the short version: <laughs> read my book. It's only a, a little more than 100 pages. If you want to cut right to the juicy slavery stuff. Go to chapter four, where I say, well, this is what I think Lincoln learned from the compromise with slavery that the founders made. Uh, And at the end of the day, let's say you don't like Lincoln. Fine. What alternative, at the time, in the 1850s and 60s, what was a better alternative? What was a better political path that this country could have taken to wean ourselves off of that massive contradiction to our principles which was racial slavery. I don't think you can find it. Um I, so anyway, that that's that's my cell.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us for another show. Um you know, it's always a pleasure talking with you and getting into Ditto. this Lincoln business and founding father business. Always good to stretch the mind and to You know to think about these things politically and historically so thanks for being with us and from those of us at leading by history we say peace thank you for tuning in to the leading by history podcast yet again we appreciate your support and as always never take what you hear on face value but always go and investigate the sources look until we get together again on another episode We want you to stay safe, and we say to you,
1: peace.